Hi there. Welcome to Stories That Made Us. In this episode, we feature creation myths of three rather interesting tribes. The first is the tale of the Sun people of Southern Africa, who are perhaps better known as Bushmen. We then travel all the way to southeastern Australia to hear the creation myth of the indigenous tribes. The episode then concludes in the Maluku Islands of Indonesia as we recount the stories of the tribes of the Seram Island. We begin with the tale of the sun. They are the peoples of South Africa, Botswana and Namibia and have traditionally lived in the Kalahari Desert. The tribe itself is a part of the Khoisan group, that is, they are related to the Khoikhoi, the indigenous nomadic tribes of southwestern Africa. The San people are also known as Kyu, Basarwa or the Bushmen. They have an ancient and a very proud history. Their society to date is predominantly built upon a hunter-gatherer culture with many people typically living in temporary wooden or rock shelters. They have a rich folklore and are renowned painters and artists. This is their story. The earth was completely empty and desolate, for no one lived on the surface of the world. This was a time when all people and animals lived in the underworld. They lived there along with their god, Kong. He is the great master, the lord of life, and the powerful trickster god of the Sun folklore. In the beginning, he had created the underworld as a shelter for all plants, animals, and people. Everybody lived happily and peacefully there. All spoke the same language, and everyone understood each other. There were no wants or needs, for Kong provided all. Everyone was quite satisfied with life. The great giver of life, the mighty Kong, though, was not happy with the underworld. This is only my first attempt at creation, he reasoned. Surely I can do better. Surely a world with a sun and a moon, a world of winds and seas, is more desirable. This he said to himself as he pondered upon his new creation. Slowly but surely, these random musings became concrete plans. The god was intent on creating a new and a better world one that would be upon the surface of the earth, one that would fill all life with awe and beauty and let them prosper and grow, a world that would fulfill all needs. Kong, a god obsessed, spent days and nights planning the wonders that he would put in this world above. The more he planned, the stronger his resolve became. He took a long time to decide on the shape and characteristics of his prized new world. When all was finalized, he came up to the surface of the earth, where he first created a majestic tree, 
one with branches stretching outward to the sky. At the base of this tree, he dug a deep hole, a hole that reached down to the underworld. Kang painstakingly fashioned the world the way he had intended. He furnished it with all that would be required to sustain life. Upon completion of his task, he asked men and animals to follow him to the surface. He first led the men up the hole. The men then helped the women out of the underworld. Soon, all people were gathered at the foot of the tree. They marveled at the new world, one that was at their disposal. Awed by the beauty of the earth, they began singing and dancing. They sang praises of Kong, their benefactor and caretaker. Kong then helped the animals to climb up the hole. The animals had heard the joyous songs of the humans and were very eager to come to the surface. Unable to contain their excitement, some began digging into the soil and the tree's roots. They dug a passageway through the roots and came out of the branches. All creation continued to race out of the world beneath and into the earth above. When every being had made it to the surface, Gong gathered them around him. He then said, I have created a wonderful world for you, one that is beautiful and bountiful. This world is to be shared between you all. There will be peace and prosperity here and all must live happily. I have even made the sun, whose light will guide you during the day, just as the moon would help you at night. This world is now yours. Go ahead, live, flourish and prosper. He then turned to the men and women and said, I know of your propensity to think and innovate. You are free to do whatever you please to better your lives in this new world. But you must not build any fires, for a great evil will befall you. Hearken my words. Enjoy all the fruits of the world, but do not light a fire. The great god then gave further instructions to men and animals. Finally, the work of the Creator was done. Satisfied by his accomplishment, Kong left the world to humanity and animals. He retired to his abode. Now, all was good during the day, for the sun provided both light and warmth. The evening was wondrous, for neither animals nor mankind had seen a sunset before. They gathered together and stood dumbfounded, awed by the divine spectacle. The evening soon gave way to night. The world began to turn dark and cold. It was then that fear began to creep in the hearts of men. The animals were bestowed with eyesight capable of seeing in the dark. 
They thus carried on with their business, unconcerned with the peculiarities of night. But the people were scared, for they could not see their neighbors. Moreover, the animals had fur and hides to stop the cold from seeping to their bones. The men had no such protection. They were cold and afraid. They were desperate for warmth and were scared of the night. Humanity despaired. They mooted the notion of building a fire to see and to keep themselves warm. I'm sure the Divine Kong would understand, they reasoned. After all, we cannot live in this new world without fire. We would perish in the dark and bitter cold, blind and frozen. All agreed to this, for they could not indeed live without fire. Men thus ignored the great god Kong's warning. They lit a fire and gathered around it for warmth and comfort. They could finally see one another. Relieved, they sang songs and danced with joy. The fire, however, frightened the animals. They fled to the mountains, forests, and the hinterlands. They became lost to man. The animals stopped communicating with humans as a punishment for breaking God's instructions. They began to fear the man, for humanity had fire. Mankind at the same time began fearing the animals, for they were big and had great strength. So this is how fear replaced the friendship that was once between men and animals. This is the curse that we all live with to date. Our lives would have been enriched and much happier if only animals and men were friends. But sadly, that is not to be. We still live in fear of animals, and they live in fear of us. That is the Sun People's tale of the origin of our world. The next story takes us to Southeast Australia. This creation myth is prevalent among many Australian indigenous tribes in that region. Most notably, the Wunarua, Kamilaroi, Eora, Darkingjung, and Wiradjuri. It's a story that puts mankind as the steward of all creation the ones who are chosen to bring order to a world of unruly animals. This is their tale. A long, long time ago, the world was still. All spirits of earth and heaven were asleep. All, that is, except the great father of all spirits, Bayame. He was the only one awake. And this is how the world and the universe continued to exist for a very long time. Until one moment when the Great Father felt a pang of restlessness. In his disquietude, he gently stirred Sun Mother. Waking after a long slumber, she slowly arose. As she opened her eyes for the first time, 
warm rays of light filled the cosmos, illuminating the heavens above and the sleeping earth under. Bayame, having thus awakened the Sun Mother, remarked, I have a task for you, dear kindred spirit. You are to go down to earth and awaken all the lesser spirits of the land. Give them speech and form. Provide them with all that is required for the world to thrive. Sun Mother, following the instructions of Bayame, came down to earth. Now the earth back then was empty, a desolate and bare land. The moment Sun Mother landed on this world, grass and bushes sprang up wherever she walked. Trees grew where her sight rested. Everywhere she went, the earth turned from desolate muddy wasteland to a verdant green scenery. Eventually, she ventured into the dark caves under the mountains, for this was where all the spirits of the land slept. As she walked inside, the bright light emanating from her awoke some spirits. These she moulded into insects and worms. And when she was done, all sorts of insects flew and worms crawled out of the caves. They became the first life to inhabit this world. Sun Mother beamed at the glorious sight of insects and worms mingling with flowers and bushes. She watched as they found their habitats and homes. With her guidance, they flourished upon the earth. Content with her work, the goddess ventured deeper into the cave. She continued to spread her light around. As she walked farther, her light and heat began melting the ice nearby. This is how rivers and streams were formed. She then created fish and reptiles. Before long, many fish were multiplying in the water, while snakes, lizards and frogs were scattered around the landscape. After arousing the spirits and giving them the forms of these fish, reptiles and amphibians, the goddess turned her attention to birds. She awoke their spirits and gave them a beautiful form. She bestowed upon them flamboyant plumage and dainty beaks. These birds too flew out of the cave and burst into the sunshine in a glorious array of colors. Bayame, the father of all spirits, saw this new world teeming with life and beauty and was glad. Sun Mother then called her creatures to gather around. When they had convened, she pointed at them and said, You are all my children. I created you at the behest of Bayame. I have gifted you with this beautiful world, one that is plentiful for your needs and wants, one that is set for you to prosper. So go out, my little ones. Go and enjoy the wealth of the earth. Go and live peacefully with one another. 
Saying this, Mother Sun rose up to the sky and shone down upon the world. She took the form of the sun that we see today and kept a watch over all life. Everybody on earth watched the sun in awe as the goddess slowly crept across the sky, moving from the east to the west. The poor beings panicked when they saw the sun set for the first time. They were afraid of night, for all thought their creator and mother had forsaken them. All night the wretched creatures stood still in their places, thinking that this was to be the end of time and life, that the world they knew had come to an end. After what seemed a lifetime, Sun Mother peeked her head above the horizon in the east. All were relieved and happy to see the Sun Goddess appear. They realized that this is how Bayame intended the world to be, that light and darkness are inherent parts of creation. Some animals and birds even took to the night and chose this time to come out and roam. Now, in the beginning, all creatures hearkened and followed Sun Mother's advice. They lived in harmony with one another and with nature. But eventually, envy crept into their hearts. The land animals wanted to fly, while birds wished to roam at night. All wished for and wanted what they did not have. They began to argue and fight over who was better and who would rule over the others. Sun Mother watched this commotion from the sky. After a while, she had had enough and was forced to come down from her home in heaven to mediate over their bickerings. The goddess tried her best to please all, but unfortunately could not succeed. Exasperated, she gave each the power to change their form to whatever they chose. The end result of this was not very gratifying. Some rats had changed to bats, some lizards became giants, and fish chose blue tongues and feet. The oddest animal by far was the one with a bill like a duck, teeth for chewing, and an ability to lay eggs. This, of course, is the strange mammal called Platypus. Poor Sun Mother thus had to watch her creation change in odd and unanticipated ways. She was less than pleased with the outcome. The goddess looked down on the earth and thought to herself, I must create new beings those who would be able to lord over these animals and birds. These existing creatures cannot be left to their own devices, for that would bring calamity to the world. Sun Mother was afraid that Bayami would be upset with the world and at the animals. She thus birthed two children. The first one was the morning star, and the second was moon. Both were born to be our guides. 
When the morning star and the moon bore two children, they were sent to earth. These children are our forefathers, the ancestors of all humans. Sun Mother made us superior to the animals, for we are her descendants and would never want to change our shape. The last story is of the Seram. These people live in the Maluku cluster of islands in Indonesia, a landscape that is covered with lush tropical forests. The coastal areas of northern Seram have many coral reefs that are rich with marine life. The predominant tribes of the island are descendants of the Melanesian and Papua immigrants. The two most influential tribes in Seram are the Wemale and the Alune. Their stories were transmitted orally for generations until they were documented by European colonists and travelers. The tribesmen worshipped a whole range of gods, spirits and divine creatures. They believed that spirits were present not only in nature but also in man-made artifacts. Interestingly, gifts such as plates, gongs and spears were believed to have a spirit that would benefit humanity. One could hear the voice of the spirit, for example, by tapping against a plate. This belief is evident in their creation tale as well. Their creation story is less concerned with the beginning of the world or the universe. The tale has more to do with the nature of humans than the origin of the world. So then, let's get started with their tale. In the beginning, the island of Seram was a lush and green heaven. There were majestic tropical trees and forests, beautiful blue skies and lovely waters. The beaches were golden and the land and rivers teemed with life. It was nothing short of an idyllic paradise. On this island emerged nine families. They are the first of us. They came from bunches of bananas that grew atop Mount Ninusaka. After a while, they came down from the mountain and settled in a place that they called Nine Dance Grounds in West Seram. Now one of the men in the group was Ameta. He was a quiet loner who preferred to live away from the others in a hut farther from the group. He was also much darker than the rest. One day, Ameta went out hunting in the forest. He ran and covered a great distance, searching for trails and finding game. After a long while, he spied a wild boar. When he caught and killed the animal, he found a coconut lodged on its tusk. Nobody had seen a coconut before, and so Ameta did not know what to do with the fruit. Nevertheless, unwilling to part with this new object, he brought it home along with the animal. He wrapped the coconut with a soft cloth and kept it safely in a locker. That night, 
after Ameta went to bed and was fast asleep, he dreamt of a man dressed in white. His voice was deep and it echoed from all four directions. Light glowed from his eyes. Bury the coconut on the ground, this apparition said. Let it live, breathe and grow. Ameta was deeply moved by the dream and he followed the apparition's command to the letter first thing the next morning. Miraculously, within a few days, where Ameta buried the coconut, there grew a fine tall palm tree bearing many coconut blossoms. Intrigued, Ameta climbed the tree, hoping to harvest some of the fruit. The poor man cut his finger as he plucked the coconuts, thus smearing his blood on the bark. When he returned after mending the cut, what he found was quite unexpected. Evidently, his blood had mixed with the tree sap to form a deep red face that protruded from the side of the stem. In a few days, this face grew to resemble a fetus. And before long, a little infant girl lay crying at the base of the stem. Ameta took this baby home and got busy carving a crib. That night, the apparition returned in his dream. You are truly blessed, Ameta, said the spirit, for you have been chosen to take care of this miracle child. You are to wrap her in the finest snake cloth that you can find. Take care of her and protect her from the world. Ameta took the words of the apparition to heart and took care of the baby. He named the girl Hainuele. She grew up fast, becoming a grown woman in just a few days. But even more surprisingly, she would defecate objects like dishes, bells, and other precious items that Ameta then sold to the other families. He kept her safe and secure, and she in return provided for the two. This is how the days and months passed, Ameta and Hainuele happy with each other's company. As the days went, it came time for the nine families to perform the nine nights of the ritualistic Maro dance at the nine dance grounds. This ritualistic dance is still performed to date. Now, as was customary in this festival, the women of the family sat at the center of the ground. They handed out betel nut or other expensive gifts, while the men danced around them in a circle. Now the news of Hainuele's birth was widespread, and the families thought of her as a woman of great import. She was thus accorded a place at the very center of the circle. On the first day, Hainuele handed out betel nuts to the dancers, much like the others. Elated by the cheers and joy that she seemed to spread with the nuts, she decided to bring more expensive gifts. 
The next day she gave out beautiful corals and was the talk of the village. Buoyed by her popularity, she gave out expensive fine pottery on the third day. In fact, she gave out more and more valuable items each night, items that she defecated during the day. Unfortunately, as she kept on giving more and more valuables, the other families were driven by jealousy. Unaware of how she produced the items, they thought that Hainuele and Ameta must be wealthy to possess such wares. They planned of means and ways to get their hands on all of Hainuele's wealth. It was inevitable that finally the families chose to murder the poor maiden. And so it was that on the ninth and final night, the men of the families dug a deep hole at the center of the ground. During the dance, they surrounded the unsuspecting Hainuele and edged her to the hole. When she fell, they covered her with earth, thus burying the unfortunate girl alive. Now Ameta had not participated in the festivities that night and so was not present to witness this barbaric act. He waited in the hut for Hainuele to return, and when she did not come back, even after the ceremonies concluded, Ameta went out to look for her. Driven by an escalating sense of foreboding, he went to the nine dance grounds and looked for her, screaming her name. It was then, that as if guided by a spirit, he discovered the ground where she was buried. He had a premonition that Hainuele had been brutally murdered during the Maro dance at the center of the nine dance grounds. A disconsolate Ameta cried and wailed at his loss. He left for his hut a broken man. When he slept that night, he had another dream where he was once again visited by the same apparition. The next morning, Ameta did as the spirit had instructed. He plucked nine leaves from the coconut tree that he had planted, the very same that birthed Hainuele. These leaves he planted on the ground where he suspected her to be buried. Now. As he was digging the earth to plant the leaves, he found bits of her daughter's blood and hair. Overcome with grief, he dug up her corpse and, as instructed, cut it into many small pieces. He then buried the body, accompanied by the rite rituals and offerings to the apparition. He buried all of Hainuele, save her arms. Magically, there grew plants wherever he buried the pieces of Hainuele's corpse. These plants became the staple crops that all people of Seram eat. And so, even in death, Hainuele provided for us all to this very day. After the burial rituals and ceremonies were complete, Ameta took Hainuele's arms with him atop Mount Nunusaka.
the very same mountain from where came he and the first families of Saram. There he sat and wept all day. When night came, the apparition visited him again. He took the disconsolate Ameta to the goddess Satene. Why are you sad, mortal? The goddess asked. After he recounted the tale to the divine deity, she commanded him to lead her to nine dance ground. Upon their arrival, she magically conjured a huge granite gate. The goddess then stood behind it and in a commanding voice called forth the nine families. Hearing the goddess's voice, people hurried out of their huts and gathered in the ground. When all had assembled, she said, You have unlawfully murdered a divine child, one who was blessed by the spirits and gods alike. Who among you are guilty of this cruel act? Nobody was willing to come forward, for all were frightened of the wrath of the goddess. Satene, upon finding nothing but silence from the families, took the arms of Hainuwele and stretched them out. Her melodious voice boomed over the island as she said, Now, you all hold these hands and walk with me through the gate. Those who pass successfully will remain humans, for only the innocent may cross the gate unharmed. Those that are guilty will turn to nefarious animals and evil spirits. All had to do as she instructed. And this is how many animals of the dark came to be. This is also why we have the evil spirits that haunt, torment and possess people. The goddess then left the village to travel to the mountain of the dead. This is where she leads the souls of all who die. That is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed the three tales from around the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. Connect with us on Twitter by following the handle at StoriesTHTMDEUS for details on next episodes and snippets of folklore from around the world. Or hey, just to chat. Reach out to us on email at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. I'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye.